Hello, my friends. You're listening to Repent and Believe podcast with Cynthia Smalls of Back to God Ministries. Welcome, my friends. Here we talk and teach the message of Jesus Christ, the only one who can claim the title of Savior of the world. We also discuss all things repentance and belief in Jesus Christ and how all these things tie into living a lifestyle where our deeds are manifested and fast and God so that we may be molded by the Father into vessels to be used for His glory. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get started. Hey everyone, before we get started, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in. And if you enjoy my podcast, please share download, leave me a message or comment. Thanks guys. Hello everyone. This is Cynthia Smalls with Back to God Ministries. How is everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You, my friend, are to never ever give up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, folks. If you didn't know, now you know. Only the righteous will go to heaven. Will you be in that line? So let's see. But first, let me start off by saying God has standards righteous and holy standards that he commands his children who have called on the name of the Lord to be saved, to adhere and follow them without whining and complaining that these commandments are burdensome. Folks, listen, there is no wiggle room for compromise. When it comes to the word of God, today, by his grace, I'm giving us scriptures that reinforces the way a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to live. You can, you can call it the Christian walk. We will be going over a lot of scriptures that will help to keep us on the straight and narrow path as well as illustrate indicator markers of the characteristics one has when they are living a clean and holy and godly life in Christ Jesus before God. Those who have sincerely repented and have come to Christ to have their sins forgiven, well, we live differently from when we were in the world. No longer do we live for self. No longer is our lifestyles characterized by sin. No longer do we operate in the flesh We walk by faith and not by sight. We wholeheartedly 
strive to obey the command by our Lord and Master when he told us in John 8, 11, to go, comma, and sin no more. We are not of the mindset that it is, quote unquote, impossible to stop sinning. We stay out of the way of sin and its damnable eternal consequences. We are called to be imitators of God. We are called to be like Christ. We are called to think on excellence. Amen. We are commanded to put on the new man. And we are to serve and love God willingly with our whole hearts, souls, minds, and strength. And we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. These are the commandments from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, when we keep these two commandments, all of the law and the writings of the prophets hang on these two commandments. So, let us begin to take a look at these scriptures and keep them in the forefront of our minds as we go about our daily lives in the Lord. Because, folks, listen, we all have a ministry. It is called the Ministry of Reconciliation. We are to tell this this sin-sick, dying world that a way has been made available to be in right standing with Holy God when they put their their faith and trust in Christ shed blood. God has made a way for mankind to be reconciled back to him. And he did this through Christ Jesus. So we are to exalt the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. No longer does sin has mastery over you. And that seems to be the memo in all of this that we have not received sufficiently. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Because when you fear the Lord, oh, you will turn from evil. Why? Because you are looking at the facts. The biblical truth is that no unrighteous, sinful, wicked, disobedient, arrogant, pride, prideful, unrepentant sinner will inherit God's kingdom. So if we are living a life in direct opposition to the wholesome teachings of our Lord, we ain't going to make it. Amen. So, 
like I was saying, we are going to be looking at these scriptures and it is a lot of them. I don't know if I may need to break this up in two parts or not. It all depends on the Holy Spirit. So grab your pens, your papers, your notebooks, journals, and write these scriptures down. They will keep us focused. They will keep us in devotion to God. And it will give us guardrails so that we can see how, in fact, are we truly living. Listen, it is a wonderful thing. It is a blessed thing to go into God's word and see what pleases him and what does not please him. Well, it has eternal consequences. So, like I was saying, we all have a ministry and we need and we need to be quiet in our spirits so that we can hear from Holy Spirit what lane the Lord has called you in. We all are to work in Christ's harvest to help him in the recovery mission of the lost. That's what we do. So if you didn't know what you are supposed to be doing, we are to go out into the world as a commission, as an assignment to preach the gospel that salvation can be had when you repent, come to Christ so that his shed blood can wash away all of your sins. And we are to tell the people coming in Jesus name, preaching repentance, which is necessary, necessary for the forgiveness of sins. Listen, study Luke 24. I want to say down near like 45, 46, 47. Christ has given us what to preach. So we are to go into his harvest to help him in the recovery mission of the lost and to shake up the deceived, backslidden, lukewarm, quote unquote, Christian who believes once saved, always saved, that they get to live their lives any kind of way and still expect to go to heaven when the rest of us got the memo, God ain't playing with that lake of fire. And Jesus told us that the road to eternal life is narrow. It is straight and it is hard and few will find that path. Why? Because the majority is on the broad way, which is easy, 
And many find themselves on that road because they believe that they do not have to live repentive lives and therefore take God's grace as a license to sin. Look, as long as they go to church every week, being indoctrinated with false doctrine by their wolf and sheep's clothing, knowing that church is corrupt and yet they stay and say nothing and not to mention dropping 10% of their income into the bucket behind that false doctrine of tithing and sowing seed that they are in right standing with God. Yes, they need to be woken up. They are sleepwalking. Amen. No, my friend, listen, Jesus is clear. The straight and narrow path, many will not be on that road. So that tells us that not a whole lot of people will be going to heaven. So the question on the floor is, are you in that line to go to heaven? Are you living? a sensible, godly, upright life before the Lord? So, let us get to these scriptures to see how we are, to see how we are truly living because my hand is raised for years. I'm thinking I'm on the fast track to heaven. Come to find out, I'm in sin, willful sin, believing and hoping and praying that the doctrine of once saved, always saved was in fact true, that no matter what I do, I could never out sin God's amazing grace, that all I needed to do was to believe in Jesus, make that confession for Christ, and then I'm good to go. Come to find out many years later, I was not good to go. Amen. So, let us get to these scriptures to see how we are truly living. Is it in line with these scriptures we are about to read today. Because beloved, it profits, it profits each and every one of us to do self-examination, to see where we are in the faith and to make sure we will not be a castaway, be a castle, be a castaway. You and I need to make sure, right, Holy Spirit, that our names are in fact written in the Lamb's book of life. Are you sure about that? Are you? So, before we get started, let us pray. Father, glory be to your name today. We give you thanks. Thank you for our salvation. 
Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your long-suffering, Father. Bless your holy name. Father, Psalms 1 is such a beautiful chapter because it contrasts the righteous and the wicked. We see what it looks like to be blessed and what it looks like to be an enemy of God. Psalms 1, starting at verse 1, blessed, fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, following their advice and example, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit down to rest in the seat of scoffers. They ridicule, Father. They mock your holy word. They have no regard for holiness at all. Have mercy on them, Father. And I pray that they repent and turn from their wicked ways before it is too late. But his delight, talking about this blessed righteous man or woman, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, his precepts and teachings, he habitually meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted and fed by streams of water, which yield yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers and comes to maturity. Verse 4, the wicked, those who live in disobedience to God's law, are not so. Father, you are telling us the, the wicked is not firmly planted like a tree. They do not yield good fruit in season. Their leaf constantly withers. And whatever he does, he does not prosper. The wicked, those who live in disobedience to God's law, are not so. But they are like the chaff worthless and without substance, which the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand on punishment. I mean, the wicked will not stand unpunished in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows and fully approves the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Amen. Father, anyone who does not understand this contrast, 
They need a whooping. Father, you are you you have made this so clear that the path of the wicked is hard and it will always lead to damnation, eternal punishment. On the other hand, the path of the wicked is shiny and bright because we love your word and we obey it. It brings us great delight. It is, it's like something that is so yummy and is so good that we can't wait to delve into it and be taught. We are giddy. We are giddy for your word to to learn from it. So, Father, speaking of learning and teaching, I ask for wisdom today to bring forth your word to your children, that by the Holy Spirit we may all receive understanding, clarity, knowledge, and a sound mind to think soberly not not like a drunkard who is oblivious to what's happening around him but may we be on constant alert looking for the soon return of our savior the lord jesus christ knowing that judgment is coming. And so, Father, with today's lesson, this will be a good lesson for us to remain sober in how we ought to be living. Now that we are born again, we don't act like as if we are still slaves to sin. Absolutely not. Christ Jesus paid Thank you, Lord, a huge price so that we can be set free from the controlling dominance of sin. No longer is it our master. Bless your holy name, Father. You are so good to us. You are so good to us. And we shall be forever eternally grateful. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, folks. So here we go. Do you see yourself in these scriptures? Okay, because these scriptures serve as a mirror. So like I said, I don't know if you all recalled from yesterday's episode. I told y'all, right? If you were nice to me and you all were, (laughs) I wrote out, well, copy and paste, same thing, right? Well, I copy and paste all of these scriptures for us. So some of them are lengthy to keep it all in context because we have heard these scriptures before in in bits and pieces. Some were taken out of context. 
And so we may not have received the full understanding of it, but it is going back to school time. We are in the school of the Holy Spirit. So for those who have ears, let them hear what the Holy Spirit will be teaching us today. This is not the hour for us to buck up against God's holy standards. He has standards, holy ones, <laughs> righteous ones. And no, we don't get to pick and choose the ones we want to obey. Right, Holy Spirit, you right. We don't get to pick and choose. Okay, all of them must be obeyed. All Every last single one of them. Listen, you want to get to heaven, right? Because I already asked, are you standing in that line? Because only the righteous will inherit God's kingdom. That's why Paul said, do not be deceived. Amen. So here we go. Acts. Acts 4, 32 to 37. All of these scriptures I will be reading from the Amplified Bible. Now, the company of believers was of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was exclusively his own. Amen. Because see, folks, this is how the early church this is how they were getting down. That if anyone had a need, no one thought that what they had had was exclusive to them, but they shared it among believers. Amen. Not today. Not so much. Especially amongst church leaders, quote unquote. And I put big air quotes around church leaders, especially the ones in these mega churches, is ridiculous. No, they are not sharing out of their own treasure among believers. They may do a photo op, um, a photo op every now and again, but as, as far as digging deep into the got to be billions among them, Ain't no one exclusively from their own giving it up. Nope. So listen. Right. Now the company of believers was of one heart and soul and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was exclusively his own. But everything was common property and for the use of all. Mm -mm -mm. So, folks, let me ask you, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if one of the brethren comes to you with a need, do you help them or do you just say, you know what, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray to the Lord that the Lord helps you out with this. 
knowing that you have the capacity and ability to help them in the moment, but you turn them away because you don't want to give give out of your own stash? Are you being exclusive with, with, the, with the things God has blessed you with that were meant to be shared with believers? We Listen, this is a family, okay? In the natural. Don't you take care and help out your family members, even if it may put a dent in your stash? But because they are blood, you help them. Well, how much more so and how much more better is the body of Christ? That when someone has a need... You don't need to know where where they are standing in the faith. All your concern is in that moment, help them. Help them. And if it comes to find out later on that this person is not a brethren, you know what? I should have kept my money. No, that's not the mindset. That first inclination, that first nudging from the Holy Spirit to say, you know what? No questions asked. Hold on. I got you. And then you come back and you bless them. Are you living a life like that? Or are you hoarding? Or are you just holding on and only want to do for your immediate natural family? Well, if so, that's telling. Listen, this is not condemning. This is no indictment. But this is just for us to take a look at. We say we love Jesus. And the command, right, Holy Spirit, the the command went out to love your neighbor, fellow believers, as you love yourself. The golden rule. If you were in a need, wouldn't you want one of your brethren to help you out? But when they come to you, you shut the door talking about, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. No, he needs something in the moment tangible. So where I left off, right, verse 33, and with great ability and power the apostles were continuously testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace God's remarkable loving kindness and favor and goodwill rested richly upon them all there was not a needy person among them Amen. You want to know why? Because everybody shared amongst themselves. They made sure no one had a need. How sad is it that in the 21st century, we don't see much of this. Not that it's not happening because it is. But by and large, it is not Everybody wants to be prospered. Everybody is seems to be covetous who are sitting up under that damnable prosperity gospel. All they are thinking about is getting theirs. 
And if they have something left over, then maybe. Because time after time, it has been testified to the fact that some church members who have been tithing for years, being faithful members of that church, if they are called upon, they will stop what they are doing and run down to the church because the church needed them. But the moment they got in trouble and they went to the pastoral office seeking financial help, they were told to fill out an application only for that application to be rejected and they were told no and given a slip to go downtown to social services and see if they can help you because the money in this church is for other things. Like what, Pastor? What could $2 billion sitting up in your coffers is used for what? As your personal piggy bank, because I don't see much outreach and missions going on in this church, but I see a, a lavish, ornated, ornate lobby, sanctuary. Oh, I see velvet cushioning everywhere. So you mean to tell me that someone who is about to be put out with five kids, and they just got laid off from work, having tied for the past 25 years. And you mean tell me you can't cut a check? Well, the money for the church is not for that. Okay, so then what is it for? Well, you know, we have upcoming projects. Projects like what? Putting on yet another wing to the sanctuary? Well, you know... As, as the kingdom expands, we must too expand. <sighs> you better repent. God is going to judge you. Listen, folks, if it's in your power to do so, help the brethren. That is not the time to be like, well, you know, they, they believe in once saved, always saved, and um, I don't. So, no, I'm not going to give my money. <sighs> Folks, we, we got this twisted, okay? Sometimes you have to put aside the arguments. If your brethren comes to you with the need or tells you they are in a situation and they may not overtly say, well, you got a dollar. You know the situation. The brother just told you for the past 20 minutes how they are homeless and they are sleeping in their cars at the Walmart and you offer nothing. Well, I got my own bills to pay. I ain't got money like that. Really? Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, you, you really need to do some ex uh, self-examination because you are breaking Jesus commands. He said to love your neighbor. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, I, I see right now I'm going to have to break these up in different parts. 
It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit inspiring me to make these comments. Okay. To, to provide commentary. So here we go. Where I left off right. Because I was, the word was saying in verse 34. Because again, we are in Acts chapter 4. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds. (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) Look at the extent that the early church was doing in order that your need be met. These people were selling their homes and their lands. Wouldn't that have been a blessing if that was going on today? There will be no homelessness among the brethren if we were doing this. What did it say? Bright. <laughs> because those because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds of the sales and placing the money down at the apostles' feet. Then it was distributed to each as anyone had need. Now Joseph, a Levite and native of Cyprus, who was surnamed Barnabas, by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. Well, he sold a field belonging to him and brought the money and set it at the at the apostles' feet. Amen. Glory be to God. Woo! That just stirs me up. Look at the love. This is what Jesus taught when he said to love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is not about loving someone with strings attached. This is agape. Providing love in such a way that you don't expect anything in return. You are looking out looking out for the best entrance interest of your brethren. The sister came to you with her five kids and told you she ain't got any money for she don't have any money for food and you just came back from Walmart with three shopping carts full of food and you're gonna tell her oh Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And you don't offer her nothing, anything. Well, I got to make this stretch to the end of the month. Listen, I got kids myself. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh So again, can't you see why these scriptures are beneficial to us to see how it was done? This This right here should be going on in the body of Christ on a consistent basis. There there should never be a need. Never. Not with all the billions of dollars that, that is flowing through the church. Billions, millions of dollars. Listen, these fat cat wolves in sheep's clothing are living 
large and in charge. You should see some of these homes. They some look like palaces on the inside. Treasures upon treasures. Fine clothing, fine exquisite food. Top of the line in everything they do. Top of the line. So how is it that the widow comes to you because she has been denied her late husband's pension and she comes to the church seeking help and you turn her away as you jump on your Learjet that you claim you had to have to what? Go around the world and preach the gospel? Really? Well, number one, that that watered-down fake gospel is not the true gospel. And if truth be told, if we were to look at your, your flight log, it would see more trips to some tropical island rather than some remote region of the world bringing Christ Jesus to them and helping them. Mm-mm. All I'm saying, this is a wonderful example of how we treat one another in the body of Christ. And even if you don't have it to give, at least be a support. Help them find a way to get the resources that they need. Because... We all may not have money like that. We all may not have something tangible to give. But we can sincerely pray with them. Scour out. Everybody got some some kind of a contact to, to help them with all sincerity. Like go out of your way. Even if they just need a ride somewhere. Yeah, gas prices are through the roof, but we're talking about the family here. Because I'm quite sure if grandma calls you up talking about she needs to go to the doctor's appointment and you got about less than a gallon of gas, won't you go to go get grandma and take her to her appointment? Well, how much more so when the brethren has a need? Jump in the car. Listen. Jesus said, take no thought about your life. Stop worrying about gas prices, food prices, and help one another. We are to anyway first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all that we need will be added to us. Amen. All right. Look, I'm only on number two and my time is almost running out. So listen, this is good. This is wonderful. It wakes us up and keep us sober so that we don't get so busy with life that we forget the essentials. Amen. Acts 17, 16 to 33. This is Paul at Athens. Verse 16. Now, 
Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was greatly angered when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he had discussions in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace day after day with anyone who happened to be there. And some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to engage in conversation with him. And some said, what could this idle babbler with his eclectic scrap heap learning have in mind to say? Folks, let me let me tell you something about intellectuals and philosophers, because you see in Greek, especially in this time, you had a lot of a lot of philosophers like Plato's uh, Plato, um, Socrates, you name it. Right. And then you had these other not so well-known philosophers, but they thought that they were highly intelligent, that all they did was to debate about life and issues and and whatever high-mindedness that they engaged themselves in. And they thought Paul was just some idle babbler with a scrap heap learning. Why? Because he was preaching Christ Jesus and him crucified and the resurrection. Not understanding that before Paul came to Christ, Paul was a scholarly man. He was, as he said, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was highly intelligent. Paul would be today a PhD. Paul sat up under one of the highly respected Pharisees, Gamaliel. Paul was not stupid. He was not, he didn't have some, as they say, a scrap heap learning. He was not some idle babbler. The problem was these Gentiles knew not God. So, they couldn't fathom what he was talking about. So, others said he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Amen. Glory be to God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Verse 19. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus which is the, the hill of Ares, the Greek god of war, saying, May we know what this strange new teaching is which you are proclaiming. Amen. See, going back as a side note to whether or not we Gentiles have to keep the 613 laws of Moses. This right here, this interaction, this mindset of these Gentiles had no clue 
who Jesus was, a, a, another deity. They thinking Jesus is just another God, little g. So some other strange deity that they've never heard of before. And so in the teaching of the false doctrine of tithing, we tell the people, according to the scriptures, Gentiles were not given the law. They did not have a covenant with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And therefore, they were not commanded to keep any of those laws. You, my friend, and I are Gentiles. So, if we had to keep the law, then these Gentiles right here, having this conversation with Paul, they would have said, oh, right, we know exactly who you're talking about. They had no clue. That's why they had a statue of, of an unknown God just in case they missed one. So they wanted to, so they wanted to cover all the bases that they may not know all the names of these deities, but they're going to make a statue and call it unnamed. And if they missed any one of them, well, that one is, will still be represented. Uh-huh. So now look, right. Verse 20, right? Because, because they would, they, they took him and brought him to the Arapaeus saying, may we know what this strange new teaching is which you are proclaiming. Because Paul was proclaiming the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. They had no clue who he was talking about and what this strange teaching. What is this? Because among us scholars, we ain't never heard this before. Enlighten us, babbler. Oh, talking about condescending. So anyway, right. For you are bringing some startling and strange things to our ears. So we want to know what they mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners visiting there used to spend their leisure time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Amen. Because folks, listen, these Greek philosophers, they all met, they all um, met up together to discuss new things, new philosophies, new ideas, and they spend all of their leisure time. Apparently, they had to have been rich they didn't have a, a workman's job where they spent leisure, leisure time discussing philosophy, new things, debating old things. And if there was a new teaching, oh, they all got together to discuss it amongst themselves and their, in their puffed up knowledge and pride Oh, they took great pleasure in that. Yeah, well, getting back to Paul with the sermon on Mars Hill. Okay, because see, Paul was angered. He's looking around this town, well, this city, Athens. 
And he's seen all of these temples dedicated to these false gods. Now, could you imagine what that does to a person who knows the true and living God and you are surrounded by a bunch of idols and devils and you have people who know not God who are so puffed up in their intellect that they think you crazy. No, we ain't crazy. Not at all. So Paul standing in the center of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I observe with every turn I make throughout the city that you are very religious and devout in all respects. Now, as I was going along and carefully looking at your objects of worship, I came to an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you already worship as unknown, this is I proclaim to you. This I proclaim to you. The God, capital G, who created the who created the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, because it is he who gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands and territories. This was so that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grasp for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. Amen. That is in him we actually have our being. Amen. As even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. So then being God's children, we should not think that the divine nature, deity, is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination or skill of man. Amen. Listen, Paul is telling them, the God of the heavens and the earth is not made with man's hands to be sculpted to be sculptured out of stone gold silver bronze he is not fashioned by any art form or imagination or skill of a man this is god he is self-existent he doesn't need anything from a mere mortal. He doesn't he doesn't exist because of us. We exist because of him. He's the only one that deserves and rightly so all adoration, 
all worship and all devotion. He is not man-made. Not, not at all. And as Paul is telling them this, I can only imagine the quizzical looks on their faces. They must have been like, what? Now, mind you, these are scholarly philosophers, but yet they could not wrap their brains around what Paul was saying to them. So he says in verse 30, therefore, God overlooked and disregarded the former ages of ignorance. And what were those former ages of ignorance? When man were worshiping other idols, looking for a deity to, to save them, to provide for them, and to protect them. They were ignorant. Not knowing that there is a true and living God alive. Not to be carried around. Not to be put up on a pedestal. But actually speaks. And deal with the people. Therefore. God overlooked and disregarded the former ages of ignorance. But now, Paul is telling them, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That is to change their old way of thinking, to regret their past sins, and to seek God's purpose for their lives. Why? Because he has set a day when he will judge the inhabited world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and destined for that task of judging the world. And he has provided credible proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. Amen. And so... When he said that, they was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Raising from the dead. Dead people don't come back to life because, see, maybe they were listening, like being attentive. But then once Paul, <laughs> once Paul started talking about resurrection from the dead, verse 32, look at their response. Because maybe Paul did have them captivated for two seconds but the moment the moment he's talking about dead people coming back alive verse 32 now when they heard the term resurrection from the dead some mocked and sneered but others said said we will hear from you again about this matter so Paul left them <laughs> Listen, I don't know if y'all just caught this, right? We know that God has set a day, right? Because in times past, he winked at all of that ignorance, all of that idol worshiping these, these Greeks. They were worshiping gods, false gods. They had temples erected to pay homage to these false gods. Silly, just silliness. 
Okay. Because they didn't know God. They didn't know him. The Israelites knew him because they had the covenant with him. But these pagan philosophers, they had no clue about this. And so when Paul said how now, right now, God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set this day that Christ Jesus will be the judge. And he said that the credible proof that Christ will judge, God rose him from the dead. He was resurrected. So now when they heard that, they like, yeah, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they mocked and they sneered. Why? Because in all of their puffed up knowledge, not nary one of those false gods ever brought anyone back from the dead. So as far as far as they were concerned, once you die, that's it. You don't come back to life. We have not studied that. We have not expounded on that. So some left and some said, you know what? Because again, this is what they love to do. Sit back in leisure time and mull over new teachings. And so for, for some of them, this was yet another opportunity to take a leisure moment to ponder and philosophize over this new teaching. Not that they would adhere to it and repent and come to Christ to be saved, but this was yet another new teaching ooh, that we can sit back and philosophize over and we can discuss among our collective intellectual brains. Paul was like, no, the scripture was like Paul left because it's like forever how long he stood there and preached to them all of this. This was their takeaway. So he left. The Bible doesn't say that he continue and continue to argue with them going back and forth. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for this insight that it gets to a point. Once you preach the gospel and you give them the truth of the matter and they mock and they sneer or they want to take more time to philosophize, yeah, I just made that word up, to philosophize over this new teaching, Paul left. So grab your hat, grab your coat, and leave. That's what what Paul did. Oh, I tell you, listen, there's some footnotes to all of this. Let me just pull this up. Because see, sometimes it's good to read the footnotes to get a little more incentive. It says, okay, as far as far as verse 23 of Acts 17, while the philosophers had little or no regard for the old mythological gods of the Greeks, the temples to various deities remained and worship practices continued at least as a formal a formal tradition 
the altar to the unknown seems to have been constructed for the purpose of acknowledging any God, little g, who had been overlooked. Paul seized upon it as an opportunity to introduce the Greeks to Christ. Amen. Because again, these Greek philosophers thought Paul was unlearned. Verse 28, the footnote is that Paul was probably exposed to Greek literature when he studied under Gamaliel and quoted or paraphrasing a line from one of their poets who would have surprised who who ah, get it out girl and quoting or paraphrasing a line from one of their poets would have surprised and kept the attention of the audience amen thank you holy spirit see because i told you right that they had uh, paul had their attention for a little bit, especially when he quoted from one of their poets. Oh, oh, okay. So maybe he's not this simp we thought he was if he's quoting one of our poets. Hmm. Mm -mm -mm. Let me tell you something about knowledge, worldly knowledge. It puffs you up. So with that little bit, it kept their attention. But then once Paul started talking about God raising people from the dead, according to them, his God, right? Because they had many. They were like, yo, wait a minute. What? P Resurrection? What's that? Th nobody comes back from having been dead. And that is why Paul brought the gospel to the Greeks because they knew not God. So when you have these wolves and sheep, I'm, I'm getting back to the false doctrine of tithing because this is yet another proof text that clearly illustrates that the law was not given to the Gentiles. So no, we don't, we, we are not commanded to keep any of those laws. Now, if you want to give financially to your church because you have deemed and perceived by knowledge of being there that the person in the pulpit is preaching and teaching sound doctrine, the full counsel of God, his wrath, his holiness, the consequences for sin, as well as his grace and mercy and loving kindness, you are being sufficiently fed and that man of God has been truly sent by Jesus in the office not a title but the office of a pastor he's doing what needs to be done to make sure and put you in the position that once you get called out of that bodysuit you will be found in right standing with God having endured until the end, remaining faithful. Why? Because he teaches the fear of the Lord that there are consequences 
when you don't live a clean and holy life in the Lord. So when there's a financial need for that church, oh, we give will, willingly, no questions asked. And it's not a burden to us. If the amount we give happens to total a 10%, a 20%, a 50%, if you want to empty out your bank accounts, then do it. I'm never commanding and preaching that people shouldn't give money to the church. I'm saying don't do it as a requirement from God because the wolf told you that if you don't bring God his money, you are a thief and a robber and you are under God's curse because they drag out Malachi 3.10 as if that applied to the Gentiles. No, it does not. In the book of Malachi, God was speaking to Israel, Israel and he was dealing with the corrupt priest. They were robbing God of his types and offerings. Not the Gentiles. We just. Did we. (laughs) Did we not just read. This account. That Paul was having this. Powwow. With these Greek Gentiles. Who were oblivious. To the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob who gave Israel 613 laws. He gave it to Moses to give it to them. They had no clue about what was happening between God, the true and living God, and Israel. They thought this was yet one of the many other gods. Gods. Little G. So, I love love these little segues to... Keep us soberly reminded that if you want to give your church money, give it. Give it all. But don't be, because see, all that I'm saying, don't be duped. Don't be deceived. Don't be brainwashed to believe that God is angry with you because you don't bring in that 10%. And truth be told, the tithe was not 10% anyways. It was like close to almost 30, 33, 20 something percent. And it was never money. It was crops and animals brought to the temple storehouse so that the priests and their families can have something to eat. It was crops, grains, grain, uh, vegetables, and uh, slaughtered animals that were sacrificed because God did not give the tribe of Levi land. So they didn't have lands to cultivate vegetation to eat. They were in charge of the temple. So do I got time for another one? I'm telling you, listen, if you all not getting anything out of this, I am. Okay, and I know you are too. That's why I love Bible teaching, true Bible teaching, being led by the Holy Spirit, not by some wolf in sheep's clothing who who is looking to come up 
off the backs of God's people who are, come on, truth be told, are too lazy to go in my, listen, my hand is raised. All of this ammunition that I give to the body is because I got the plank out of my hand and I've been there, done that and wrote the book. Okay. You cannot be in willful sin and think you still going to go to heaven. We cannot be disobedient to God's command for us to come out from amongst these wolves and sheep's clothing, these corrupt men who are destitute of the truth. And if they don't repent, blackest darkness is in their future. And we do not want to share in their punishment. We are commanded to mark and avoid them. Avoid them. Don't invite them in, into your home because there's false brethren also who love to approach you when you are teaching and preaching. Repent. You got to turn from your evil, wicked ways. God is on his way back and he will judge the unrepented sinner in righteousness in flaming fire. Jesus will take vengeance on them who know not God, who obey not the gospel. They will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the the glory of his power. And you are going to approach us, brethren, so-called brethren, you are going to consistently approach us talking about how this message is too harsh. When they just roll up on you on a tail end because for the past three hours, you have been preaching at the top of your lungs how God is in fact merciful he is loving kindness and he is patient, giving people time to turn from their wickedness in his love. He demonstrated it by sending Christ Jesus. Love was hanging on the cross, dying for our sins. So when we preach that salvation comes through repentance, Otherwise, the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom. Scripture is unanimous. The unrepentant, willfully sinful, disobedient child of the devil will go straight to hell as they await final judgment. So we, we come strong. We come bold, not wishing that anyone should perish. That is why the Bible tells us to snatch as many sticks from the fire. That means people need to hear the real deal holy field. Some people need to literally be snatched up to tell them you go in the wrong way. So when we have the false brethren 
lukewarm, whatever it is, they clearly not on fire with the message that Jesus preached, the message that John the Baptist preached, Peter, Paul, all preached repentance. Jesus said, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. He also said, repent or you too shall all likewise perish. So that is why the religious leaders hated Jesus. Because look at what he was talking about. He was talking about their hypocrisy. He was talking about how they heaped on more commandments of men as if they were from God on the people. That if they do make a convert, well, they turn that individual more of a son of the devil than they are. They make them just like they are children of the devil. So when these people roll up on you and you out in the highways, the byways, and the hedges, screaming aloud and sparing not, Judgment day is coming if you don't repent and come to God when you die or if Christ comes before then he will judge you. He will set your soul on fire. So if you are in sin claiming to be a follower of Jesus and when you hear that message you are not speaking on behalf of the masses because Don't you think that by preaching like that, that people won't come to you? And I'm like, I don't want people to come to me. I want them to come to Christ. Because the question was asked, by you preaching like that, people are not going to come to Christ because that's a hard message. Well, beloved, The message stands. And I am not going to water this down. Because you, not them. Because they are ignoring me. (laughs) Okay? They doing what Jesus said. They going to the market. Here and there, everywhere. They are eating and drinking and being merry. And they they ignored the message. Just like in Lot's and, and in Noah's day. They went about their business hearing how judgment is coming and yet they ignored it. But nonetheless, it didn't stop Noah. It didn't stop Lot for continually preaching judgment is coming. Repent, turn. Okay, so what if people don't come to me looking to be saved? I'm not the Savior, nor am I the Holy Spirit. We plant we water but it is God who gives the increase so just because I don't have 10 million people surrounding me looking to be saved that's not my concern I want them to hear this message and may it prick their hearts so maybe in private because you know when sinners are out together They all group up and they want to follow the crowd and 
if one is mocking, then they all mock because they don't want to be left out or seem to be righteous. I, I don't know. So when I'm approached once again, once again, so obviously this message is the true message, right? So I'm approached once again that this message, because you see, maybe if you preach on God's love, because see, I'm a believer too, but you know what? You know, if you just, you know, tone it down, because you know, Jesus told us to preach God is love. And I'm like, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. That is not what he told us to preach. So I gave her Luke 24. Jesus told us that in his name, what was going to be preached? Repentance. And when you preach repentance, when you bring them the gospel, it is all about God's love. Okay? Had it not been for his love, he would never have sent us a savior. He would have just washed his hands like he did in Noah's day, like he did for Lot in Lot's day with those cities. Okay? So... It, it got to be a playbook because they all say the same thing and these people don't even know each other and yet they all say the same thing. You are preaching too harshly. Tone it down. Preach love. Well, guess what? Love don't snatch certain people from hell's fire. My hand is raised. You want to know why? Because when love, 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 Grace, 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 believe, 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 was only preached to me. It did not stop me from sinning. You want to know why? Because the fear of the Lord was downgraded to only having faith in him so that he can give us a return on the money that we tithe. Not that he's holy, righteous, and justice, and he's coming in flames of fire to deal with his enemies. So once I heard the true gospel and that message, yes, I was snatched. And I'm not the only one that needs to be snatched. So the Holy Spirit gave me an inspired thought that for the next one... (laughs) For the next one that comes up to me and say, listen, I'm a sister in Christ too. I'm a brother in Christ. We need to tell the people about God's love. So instead of me whipping out the scriptures about what 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and what Revelation 21, 8 that gives us a list of. Galatians 5 of those who won't enter the kingdom, I'm going to I'm going to make one statement. I'm just going to tell them, well, stop sinning and this message won't offend you because that's who's offended. Cuz these people is, act like they coming on behalf of the masses being I guess a spokesperson that 
that day because since they are in Christ that they will come to me and maybe perhaps they can tell me to tone it down. Well, you know, I'm a believer too. And you know, and all of this hemming and hawing and, you know, if we just preach, preach God's love, that, that will win souls. No, 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 no. The Bible says that we are to preach repentance. Why? Because salvation comes through once you repent. When you tell someone to repent, it's telling them about sin and the consequences of sin and that you must change the way you think and turn around and go back to God. No one who loves sin wants to hear the word repent. And that is why I'm, I'm not the only one, but many of us are approached. Because the one standing before us claiming to be a follower, they are in sin. And this message provokes and offends them. And they come under the false premise of speaking for others that, you know, because see, listen, I know about repentance. Listen, I'm here with you, but they don't know that. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why we must give it to them straight with no chaser so again i am not going to water this down i am not going to sell out because it's not offending them they give me the finger they give me the a devil horns they are not offended <laughs> you are why because you claim to be a follower but you are in some kind of sin that the Holy Spirit is convicting you and then you want to walk over to me and tell me to, to tone it down because it's really offending you. All right, folks, listen, I got to go. I will continue to do many parts until we get through all of these scriptures. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this wonderful time of fellowship. Thank you that we have your complete word that we can live by and that we can view it as a mirror and look into it intently to see, are we living like this? Because if we are not, then some changes need, need to be made immediately. May the Holy Spirit continue to sanctify us. That the blood of Jesus cleanses us continually from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy. I was on my way to a burning hell, but you saved me. And I will proclaim that. Until the day you call me out of this body suit, I am a witness to your mercy, your patience, your kindness. That those you have chosen for the kingdom, that we come to the light, the Lord Jesus Christ, and put away all sin, respect you, honor you, and fear you. Yes. 
Because you tell us it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And that is so true. Bless you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, folks. Like I said, I'll be back with part two. I don't know how many parts it will be, but this is good because this is all about teaching us how to live holy, to live righteously, so that when Christ Jesus returns, we will not shrink back and be ashamed because we had not been living right, calling ourselves a follower. Mm-mm-mm. Heaven forbid. Lord willing, until next time, repent and believe. Stop sinning and turn back to God. Bad company will always corrupt good morals. Arise to righteousness. Wake up and stop sinning as you ought to. Amen. Amen. Lord willing, until next time, I shall be speaking to you all soon. Bye for now. Thank you guys for tuning in. I truly appreciate all your support. Until next time, I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye.